0: I'm Jen.
1: And I'm Carrie.
0: And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. This is episode number 49, and our book is The Swords of Kalth by Graham McNeil. This is the continued adventures of Uriel Ventress, now freshly made Primaris. We posted several questions on our website, wh40kbookclub.com, and we encourage participation in our conversations via Twitter, YouTube, our site, or Encrypted Vox channel at all the offerings we offer spoiler warning if you haven't yet read this book go check out the post and the book and then come back to this post as we'll be discussing the book from start to finish in great detail not that there's a lot of spoilers in this no lore bombs in this book with that (laughs) let's dive in (laughs) did you like the book i really did yes was it so okay When the book came out, I was like, oh, we haven't read, we haven't read Uriel Ventress in so long. I didn't realize how long it had been. So was it worth the wait?
1: Was it just like coming home and putting on your favorite sweater? That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, it was just, it's just kind of like you start reading, it's like hanging out with old friends.
0: It very much reminded me and I think everybody has these friends who like you don't talk for several years but when you do see them it's like no time has passed whatsoever and you just pick up like we just saw each other yesterday even though it's been like six years um it reminded me of that mm-hmm. it was like oh the case and but like every time somebody was introduced I was like oh come here let's get a hug <laughs> like I wanted to hug literally everybody I I really liked this book so what parts stood out to you
1: well there are a few um, probably the biggest one is probably one of yours as well and it's when uh, Pisanius calls out Uriel for being cold-hearted so just yes. an example of the Rubicon kind of you know, altering perspectives, and he was being super pragmatic, which is something that we have, and I kind of liked that Graham McNeil did this, that he didn't leave Uriel 100% intact, because we've seen this so much with um, many of the, mostly the new primaris, that mm-hmm. they get overly pragmatic and then kind of stop caring for their constituents. And, you know, we saw this, especially in Knights of McCrag. Uh, with, with that one primaris and uh, which is it even made like his primaris captain irritated like okay you need to learn a lesson because you've forgotten what we're here for right and I thought that was so so great of Pisanius to point out you've forgotten yourself you've forgotten why you're here what you're supposed to be doing why we're even on this planet so I thought that was right such a great moment um that and there was other moments of where you know yes uriel's changed he's bigger better f- bigger better faster more but he's not perfect right. and he still makes mistakes so I, mm-hmm. I, I like that as well
0: i did like that um God, there were so many little scenes that i really liked i really liked when he went to see gulliman that was so
1: awesome. Um, I really, really just liked best that that friends. whole interaction. Like, they just, they're best friends now. That's just... Ever since uh, Uriel showed up in uh, Plague War, they're best friends now. It really did feel more
0: like father-son relationship, though. Mm-hmm. Right? Which I thought was so nice. Because when he like says... When he's just like, Oh, you know, you've, been, you've petitioned to see me like, hardcore, so this better be kind of important. And then when they're just sitting there talking... And when he's drawing it out of Uriel, because he's like, I know my sons, like, what's really going on here? Like, it was just, it was that softer side of Gulliman that we don't always get to see. Mm -hmm. And I just, I really liked it. And it, it hit me in the feels a little bit. Because again, I love Reboot, I love Uriel, and I just loved this idea that Again, it just felt very father's son and him kinda of giving him permission. I liked the idea too that like he petitions to ask him, like, I wanna go and do this thing. Why? Well, here's my reasons for it. All right. Go do what you gotta do. Like I like the idea that Gulliman is not just this, nope, it's my way or the highway. Like I've given you orders, go F off. No, it's he does listen to his sons, which I think was just
1: Except again that the he, whole thing was nice. He almost didn't grant it. Because he was like, no, you better tell me the real reasons or um, you're not doing this. That's I liked that too. And as
0: a parent like you can kind of yeah. relate to that, right? Oh, yes. Because you can recognize
1: when you're being fed a line.
0: Right. Or so when You're being
1: fed what you think that the parent wants to hear.
0: Right. Or where something's getting obfuscated. And it's it's similar like with your own kids right when they they finally are just like I want to go because this one person's gonna be there okay that's all you had to say right like you know so i really liked the idea that he is like he does listen and it was it was such a humanizing moment for both of them mm-hmm. really loved it um there was God, so many things in this that i really liked of course the titan okay
1: i know you have this a thing a part- you have a thing with the titans
0: I love the titans in general uh but one of the things that stood out to me and again it's i love when you're like wait a minute and then they acknowledge the wait a minute so when they talk about after they teleport into the center of the earth and that they're like oh it was like a hundred days before they were rescued i was like dude those human crew people are going to be dead and they're like the human crew lasted longer than we thought okay um And we'll talk a lot more about this later. But when the Necrons were devouring my first thought is I was like, why the hell would a Necron need to devour? How does this even work? And then like a paragraph later, Uriel is like, why though? How? (laughs) Like, even he is confused. He's like, like, these are not
1: any Necrons I've ever worked with or against, I guess. Right? (laughs)
0: Um, I I just really like when you're like, hold up. And then authors immediately are like, don't worry. It weird. (laughs) (laughs) I liked that. Um, That I will say Graham McNeil. I feel very comfortable saying this. Graham McNeil is the master of bolter porn. Because he really is. Because this book is definitely bolter porn. But... Like, it has heart. It's like boulder porn that has heart. Mm -hmm. There's a story, there's characters that you connect with and you love, and you feel good about reading it. It's not just boom, 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 blood explosions. Like, there's... It's not Pearl Harbor. Um, Missed you more than that movie. Missed the point. It's an awful lot.
1: Um, Never saw the movie. And I was warned not to. Yeah, don't. Um, But it's... It's just... I mean he really does like
0: I feel like a lot of times people talk about boulder porn and they say it like in a derogatory like it's just boulder porn this I feel like Graham McNeil always proves that he's just like oh by the way this shit's just fun right I mean I mean, man, want to you, hug everyone
1: you could argue that a lot of stuff is just boulder porn uh, like right, dark imperium you can there's a lot of war going on in dark imperium oh. Well, yeah, but there's a lot more
0: lore stuff going on. Like nothing really lore wise to change shifts in this. Um, Which is nice. Other than the fact that they do acknowledge. Because remember, we actually, this this is so rewarding for me. Because if you remember when we read the Belisarius Call book, I was like,
1: wait a minute. Like nobody has talked about the fact that the
0: Nightbringer shard is out there
1: right that was one thing I did kind of like about this is like yeah we haven't forgotten that my first book I released a Catan shard <laughs> I
0: loved that I did like that this was kind of like a oh yeah he's still out there I thought that was great um but like it's not lore changing it's not it's not groundbreaking there wasn't like a total plot twist it was really just the point of it was characters that you know and love are gonna go and kill a bunch of
1: stuff they're doing what they and, do best. Oh, and by the way, like, remember the Necrons are making the Necrons important now? So here they are.
0: Okay, you guys, I was so salty about the Necron. Like, oh, we're going to shoehorn the Necrons back in there. Mm, great. Um, this book made me less salty about it.
1: Okay, yeah, I could see that. I mean, it made it kind s- of bridged. It made sense, like, why the Necrons... Mm-hmm. even there and i guess i kind of liked it because it was different than most of the necrons that we've seen waking up at this time mainly because these necrons were crazy yo yeah so uriel's back um let's
0: talk about so let's we talked a little bit about this but i really want to dive into this because i absolutely agree with your analysis of it let's talk about primaris uriel versus og uriel like, what do you think of some of the
1: primaris changes that we see in this? I mean, aside from the physical changes, obviously, um, he is, he's able to process a lot more quickly. It's almost like, it's almost like the world is moving more slowly for him. Right. Because he's able to process things so quickly. So I think he's become a better strategist because of, and he always was a pretty good strategist. But now there's not that hesitancy anymore. Like he can instantly see things and react versus like if you like those the last book, the sixth book in the trilogy, the trilogies, um, he would he hesitated a couple of times, which is how he got shot in the eye, because he did hesitate, Mm -hmm. you know, just things like that. And like, I feel like he's not doubting himself anymore. It's almost which I think is also a lot because. Thanks to Guy Haley, we actually see the moment where Gulliman like forgives him or lets him know like you didn't do anything right. wrong. And so that kind of gives Uriel back a lot of his confidence in himself Ooh. and in his leadership. Right. And
0: I I liked that because you're absolutely right. I feel like this is like a like a growing up moment for him. Because, like, Goleman, of course, has been renowned as being a brilliant strategist. And we kind of see glimpses of that in his sons, Cato Sicarius, for sure, right? But I think you're right. I think Uriel kind of lacked that confidence or that ability to maybe... I think because he was such a passionate person. Like, in terms of Space Marines, Uriel was very emotional Mm -hmm. and very passionate. And this, I think, that kind of... We'll talk a little bit more about this in a second, but just that some of that emotional neutering almost really did give him this glimpse and it is part of it is that his brain is just I mean he's processing data so much quicker that he can take a step back and see that larger strategy around him but
1: he yeah I mean he feels more like a leader now I think also, you know, one thing that was actually touched on in the very first book, Nightbringer, and it kind of carried on throughout, was that the reason why Ideas chose him was because Uriel, like Ideas, thought outside the box. But the problem with Uriel is that he knew he was thinking outside the box and would immediately hesitate because he was thinking outside the box. And Mm -hmm. now he realizes that thinking outside the box... Is what they need, I guess, especially with this, you know, brave new world that's going on. I got the Indominus and right. galaxies torn in half, and by the way, I'm a whole new thing now. Has um, just kind of taken that, taken that out. It's like you know, it's it's okay to think outside the box.
0: Very much. I do like the idea that there was a price to becoming a Primaris in some ways, right? And you're right that he's so lucky that he had Visenya's who (laughs) um so huge shout out to Panny mauser by the way because i was like i really hope basenius is in this and she read the book and she dm'd me and was like there's a lot of basenius in it uh that's a moment that stood out when they when he had faked you into thinking he had killed basenius i even told my husband i was like i will burn this book um, and send the ashes to Graham
1: McNeil I was, um, I was not pleased because <laughs> like I, I'm not as big a fan of a Pisanius as you but these two like Uriel needs Pisanius and Pisanius needs Uriel and it's two but they're kind of like their compliments the yin and the yang they very just much fed it, so they are there to keep the other one grounded very much so and I think like I mean he really did almost
0: literally serve kind of as Gemini Cricket and this one because i love the idea that there was a price for uriel yes you're stronger faster stronger and you've been rebuilt you are the six million dollar space marine um i loved that idea but then i did kind of like it that it's like oh yeah by the way like it, it also took a huge part of what made you you that humanity to you and i did like like when he first sees besanius and he's like why am I not as happy to see him as he is to see me? Like he has this disconnect and I did like when Vesanias has to be like, bro, like, have you forgotten what we're about? That I thought was really nice. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: He's agree. lucky that he had Basanius. It would be interesting to see what would have happened had he not been there. and Cause Basanius also is comfortable enough to call him out on it, right? Like I'm not necessarily sure that the other guys would have felt enough impropriety to say, like, "What are you doing?" But Pisanius has that
1: right, and Pisanius also has the wherewithal to um, keep it private, like not, yes. not, not only not let the humans hear what he's going to say, mm-hmm. but not let the others in the company even though they're all trusted friends you know they all end up kind of being in uriel's little entourage at at, at the end kind of like his own little Mm -hmm. Mornival at the end but um but yeah just um, that respect that you sometimes don't see Mm -hmm. like which is something that well that you know lee archis would have done back in the early part of the trilogy he totally would have called him out in front of everybody oh my god yeah well i feel like especially in
0: book five when he first comes back right when hacenius and uriel first come back serious tension was, oh my god they just was not happy at all which at first i was like excuse you
1: but i under- like once
0: he kind of explains it right you're I like i understand
1: why he is having problems with uriel kind back. i understand it like
0: a, totally. le-
1: a little bit um which is why, like, it took me forever to be like, I don't like you. It, it, it kind of came around, you know, in that fifth book when the realizes how hard it is to stay with the Codex. And he realizes that he was about to commit something that he actually turned Uriel in for. And kind of had that humble, that humbling Whoa. moment. But he was still kind of a dick in that sixth book. So I was like, I'm so over you. So this book, uh, you know, it's also been like how many years like I forget how many years it's been in our years just like you know imperial years I guess right there's they've had some growing up to do and like I even tweeted out I was like well I guess I finally I guess I forgive Arches and Graham uh, McNeil you know replied back he's like they've grown up a lot together over the years I'm like obviously you know they've grown up a lot because and of course and again but that's one of the great things about Graham McNeil is that he knew people would be having those feelings about Learchus because when we first see him, I and when mean, Learchus finds out that you know, <laughs> the actual meaning Uriel is on the planet, he immediately starts like being thinking about how excited he is to see him, and how ridiculous it all feels looking back with their little rivalry back in the day. It's like like he like you loved did, that you did that on purpose. You know exactly. It's oh, that, very much so. Is that one thing I've always liked about Graham McNeil is that he knows what the readers want or what they're pondering and if you don't believe me read the magnus primark novel because if you want any feels whatsoever about magnus or perturbo they're all in there so he knows how to trigger things and it's like ending is and you know that's what he's doing but he does it so well you don't care
0: yes he definitely i feel as though more than any of the other authors, he really has his finger on the pulse of what his fans are like of this series. And you know what? It really could just be like a wild coincidence that he's like, well, I feel like I need to give Lyricus like a, a moment, but it just happens to work for us. But I, I don't think so. Like, I think he knows. And I actually really loved that scene when Lyricius is basically like, we were such silly children back then. <laughs> <laughs> like, I love and. Like, I, I got, like, at the end when they made him the Ancient.
1: Oh, like, that was such a cool moment. <sighs> Full body chills. Okay, I um, was super sad when Ancient, when the Ancient died. Like, I was actually getting close to tears when the Ancient was, like, blubbering over dropping the banner. Yes. Like, and even you like, dude, it, it's okay. Like, we know... It wasn't in Cowardice or anything else, but he just could not... We didn't, we didn't lose it. Either. Right, and he, but he couldn't... He just got chooched. He couldn't forgive himself for it, and it was super sad when he got killed by the death mark. Well, and I also liked that... Um,
0: we'll talk about that in a minute. So, let's talk a little bit about the Necrons here, because they're really front and center. Like, this is arguably a Necron book. Um, so... Did you do you think this effectively tied the Indominus? Like, do you feel like you have a better concept of what they're doing and how they're moving forward with Indominus now?
1: No. And it's and that's mainly because the impression I got about what they were doing with Indominus from the first Dark Imperium novel mm-hmm. is not what it has become. So. Like my impression from Dark Imperium was that the whole point of the Indominus was to find a way to close the rift. And kind of get, trying to basically get all of our ducks in a row, figure out where everything is, and work to close the rift. That was my impression of Indominus. And somewhere along the way, I guess because Dark Imperium takes place a hundred years later, or it did, and all that. And I think it's actually at the, the close of the Indominus Crusade, or it's the halfway point. You know what, they kept I feel like they kept changing their minds, what was going on. So when they decided to, you know, let's let's actually take a few steps back and start the beginning of the Indominus Crusade, even though I'm all going, but why though? And then introducing the Necrons, that felt so shoehorned in because they wanted to sell Necron toys. Let's 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 be real. That's really really what it what this was all about. Right. And so and they're beautiful models. They are, they are. And I'm not, you know, and I understand that. No, just, I totally know. And I understand because the books, thats what you know, let us I mean, let's be real. The board game is first, first and foremost, and the books support that. So if Games Workshop decides that we want to make all these new shiny Necron models, the books were going to have to follow suit with that somehow. And this is how they chose to do it. I just think it's a really back asswards way. To handle it and it doesn't fit very very well especially if you've read the dark empyrean books and you come back to this you're like like you kind of feel like the guy from it's always sunny in philadelphia he's got like the pepe little, silva yeah the little line chart does he's like the line map very like, Here, yes so. yeah so yeah very no, much so and honestly and it, with the necron books that we have read it all just kind of jumps around so i'm not exactly sure yeah. what the necrons are doing aside from maybe they're waking up maybe they're not maybe it's just in and Oricon just starting a civil war for no reason or for giggles i should say it's not for no reason it's for giggles
0: let's be real it's just to get one up on the other one yeah uh you know it's just yeah i don't know I agree. I did find this one interesting. I, I was very excited about it because typically with the Necrons, like in, in the previous books that we've read, I've been kind of cold. Like like, like the Indominus book, for example. Very much so. Um, did not care. Really didn't care about the Necrons in general. Um, this was the first book where I was like, okay, so this is interesting. Like, But it does... I I have a little bit of concern that this is like um, them kind of establishing that, yeah, you know, some of the Necrons are going to wake up. Not quite right. Like we already know that some of them have problems, but like, I don't think we knew like to this extent that they have problems, Um, which is interesting that they're basically like having like a, um, so what I'm looking for, like, I totally can't think of this as a software term, but like when they, when you reach a bug and it just kind of starts looping, right? Like I just figured they
1: were having an existential crisis. That could be too.
0: All of a sudden they woke up and they were like, guys, we're just trapped in metal bodies.
1: Or, Um, you know, one thing that, um, they kind of talked about in Robert Rath's book, Infinite and Divine. Thank you. We kind of talked about how there were plenty of the Necrons, like, after the biotransference, they were not well. Like, they were like, this is not right. what we signed up for. We are not handling it. And they and they mentioned how they were either were killed outright because they were going insane. They slowly went insane and kind of became, like, um, vegetables. Or they kind of put them in sleep until they could figure it out. And this kind of almost felt like this was, like, where they put all those who had problems. Like, this is like their Australia. (laughs) He's put them there. Right. Right. We'll we'll come get you when we figure this out. But it's been like, you know, thousands of years and everyone's forgotten. Big shock. And now that they've all woken up because the eagles are no longer circling the mountain, they're not well. And then we have this cast-off piece, unwanted piece of Nightbringer, who's also not well. forcing them to do like a reenactment <laughs> right <laughs> so well like weird. like they woke up and they see, i
0: took it more like it was like a bug like they woke up and they're like okay this is what we got to do and it doesn't it doesn't matter that you know they can't they can't do the thing they can't realize it and um so one thing i did like um with the eagles circling the mountain, I was like, yeah, yeah, the eagles are definitely still circling the mountain. Goddamn Imperials, uh, which just kind of fun. Uh, but I, I guess I do have a, b- this book oddly helped me understand a little bit more of the scope of the Indominus Crusade. That like, Gulliman is so busy. And the fact that Uriel, I mean, it takes him forever to get this audience with him to say like, I want to go and do this thing. And it takes forever and then
1: yeah like he has so many other things going on i imagine right? uriel's like secretary or whatever it's just like oh okay so hmm hold on how is six months from tuesday
0: <laughs> exactly like um i can get you in in q4 right um do they still have cues uh anyways like I mean, it would have to be that far out, right? Like I also I also had that idea where they were just like, "This is your first
1: you available, first available appointment. First available appointment is six months from now, and he could um, cancel because of war." Right, exactly. <laughs> uh,
0: he's a little busy. Um, totally. I the madness of the Necrons was very interesting. Well, I mean, it kind of was, but it was it was really it was gross. And I do, and I will say right now again, such, like such a bizarre flex, good way bizarre flex from Graham McNeil. That scene, when they're all captured by the Necrons, and the one guy gets devoured, and they slowly poor like they can't move their armor. Poor Dreadnought. On. Poor one out, guys. That affected me like way hard. He couldn't because even like dreadnoughts. That's not cheap. Like that's a lot of technology, and that guy's been around for a really long time, and he just got and he can't fight back. Like, okay, I was saying I was saying this to my husband that every time I think that I have found the most ignoble way to die in the Warhammer forty k universe, they come up with something new and exciting that I hadn't thought of, like the human crew. Starving to death in the center of the earth. That's pretty ignoble.
1: Getting devoured by something that doesn't even need food. And um, not only that, after they pried you out of your dreadnoughts like a little oyster.
0: That's very accurate, actually.
1: I mean, he had no arms and legs anymore.
0: I really do enjoy bivalves, too, and that's, you know.
1: Might have ruined that for you forever.
0: I might have, actually. Okay, so, mind blown recently. I saw somebody, because obviously we don't get fresh scallops here. I had never seen a fresh scallop in my life. They have so many organs and stuff that you have to... Anyways, that's kind of what I imagine now that you're saying that. I'm picturing it. Google what a fresh scallop looks like when they're pulling it out of its shell. Um, that's kind of now what I picture him looking like.
1: Ew. I kind of did, too, but, like, with the head, so... Anyway, anyway, thanks for that. Um, But that scene was horrifying.
0: Like that whole, it was so tense and it was so scary. And at first I was like, I'm not going to hurt the swords of, oh my God, that guy's dead. (laughs) But he killed the dreadnought. Like it was, it was real. And by the end of the book, I mean, he killed so many of these named characters that by the end, I was like, we know Uriel and Basenius, are making it out but like
1: they well uriel at least has the plot armor
0: right but i mean by the end there i was like no one is safe but that scene was so tense and it again it was not only an ignoble death it was something terrifying about something that's not even angry at you personally it's just mindless hmm. doesn't even need to eat to survive and it's eating you
1: it's almost like Making this more graphic than it needs to be, but it made me think of the, the way it was like taking him in, they're describing it, like a wood chipper. Yeah, kind of.
0: I For all of my fellow theater nerds out there, it reminded me of Suddenly Last Summer, and yes, I'm about to compare a Warhammer 40k novel to a Tennessee Williams play. But you know what? It fits. <laughs> Tennessee Williams the grandfather of misery porn hmm. um, which I am a huge Tennessee Williams fan of but when they talk about at the end with the, with the boy with the kids screaming pan 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 that's all I could think of was these necrons just mad and crazed and pul- <laughs> when you start drawing parallels to suddenly last summer you've done something effectively creepy um, this one that scene though I was like the whole time I was like <gasps> okay so well done again bold report done right but what does this kind of say about the necrons in general like so actually let me ask you this question about the nightbringer so the nightbringer shard kind of has a moment of i know you Mm -hmm. do you think it works both ways do you think the nightbringer shard that's out there is like whoa whoa wait a minute Right? Like, all of a sudden it realizes that a, one of its shards has died and it's like, oh, that asshole.
1: I mean, I don't know enough about the Catan. Why not?
0: At this point? I don't really, I don't really... I don't, I don't really understand. Like, I don't know how the shards work. Because I know that... I mean, I, I know conceptually how the shards work. But can, can they tell? Like, do you think they're getting that two-way message? Or was it more of like, A recording like a photo right where it's like part of me knows but actually I guess it would have to right because then how the hell would it
1: know not like that happened in the past so what that kind of makes me think of is if anyone has read any of the halo novels and specifically looking at the halo novels that uh, Karen Travis wrote because in it it involves the one of the big AI's uh, BB black box and he talks about how he is able to separate a shard from himself to kind of implant to somebody, like a little AI, mm-hmm. but then he can take it back in and immediately get all those experiences and memories. So that's right, kind of what I was thinking, thinking what it was like, in a way. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe it's not a two-way message, but it could rejoin, and then the main Nightbringer would be able to get all those experiences from the shard. And does that then
0: become like is this is gonna become like a rivalry like a thing right where he's just gonna be like oh that little guy
1: i don't know i don't know if that's i would love that if i don't know if that's because you know because they have brought the necrons into this big thing with indomitus and the gram was just like oh wait a second you remember that time when i released a Catan? this seems like that one time. could be useful <laughs> that one time uh, yeah, on
0: Pavonis. Exactly. Um, so love that book. Yes. And so part of me, like, I mean, a big part of me, I, I, was, I was so happy that they mentioned it in general, but now I'm like, ooh, this could be like a rivalry. Like now it's going to be something that they have to encounter because eventually we're going to have to pay the price. Like eventually the Piper is going to come, right? For Belisarius Call, who has released a shard. The deceiver shard got released in Infinite and the Divine. Um The Deceiver. Um, <laughs> uh, like one of his shards gets released, this guy gets released. Like this is eventually gonna be a thing, and I do love the idea.
1: Now, the is, that, whole- is that what's gonna get the Emperor off the throne? God damn it. I take a nap for ten thousand years, and you guys release all these shards
0: maybe if they all coalesce at Mars to release their boy
1: oh the void dragon I'm just saying oh, you know that's never gonna happen because then it'll be like the end of days for Warhammer 40k and then they'll reboot You like comic books Why don't you put that evil on me I'm at the own crisis infinite earths anyways <laughs> she's, she's not okay she snorted so, at me
0: like, ugh, i can't i can't even literally can't even um let's talk about the ending because there's so much going on in the ending first off the scene where she presents him with the new banner and he's like nah not to me you don't give this to me you give this to somebody else but when they unfurl it and they made it very clear where the joyan mm-hmm. is That was so cool, so awesome. Again, Graham McNeil knows how to do fan service right. So we now have, as you said, he kind of has his own Mournval, right? Um, they they saved this planet, saved being a very strong word for this.
1: Um, they're not going to clean up. They're not going to clean up their mess. I mean, well, no.
0: (laughs) We saved the planet. What else did you want?
1: That's for other people
0: exactly this is why we have the administratum i i do i liked it a lot because it did remind me it drove home the point in um andy clark's imperial fist novel where he's like you guys we're the last line of defense we're not here to like evacuate anyone or do mm-hmm. anything like that uh we are one one. i did like that this kind of drove that point home too um, but so, where do they go from here? Where do the sorts of Kalth go from here? They now are a group of really close, really tight badasses, who, you know, they've got a shiny new banner and they have their Primaris captain,
1: and he's got a shiny new gun. We talk about how awesome that gun was for a minute. That might have been when I, I forgave Lee Arches. <laughs> 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 like he gave him a present. Okay, fine. He didn't just give him a present. I know, but, you you know, it kind of made me think of, uh, gosh, a long time ago, for any tennis fans out there, there was this really funny John McEnroe commercial where he, it's a credit card commercial, and he he learns about a dispute resolution. He was like, alternative dispute resolution. He's like, wow, there's other ways. There's, like, alternatives to dispute resolution? I got to go fix this. And he's like, drives to this guy's house and the it's like a line judge so Dora and he sees it's like oh it's macrono he's like you know i was just thinking that you know maybe the ball actually was on the line and you're not evil i had that moment with learchus i'm like okay maybe you're not evil
0: <laughs> i did like when the scout when he's like learchus is going to like kill you guys like okay. when he really that, That's I laughed really hard was
1: hilarious when they're like we're gonna go with you he's like no I'm not gonna let Liar just call all of you <laughs> for codex violations it's like thank you Graham McNeil just thank you for that
0: it was like and Liarchus too okay so I can forgive Liarchus I cannot forgive what's his name is it Lysander
1: oh Leandros Leandros. Oh, from Space Marine?
0: (laughs) Lyricius gets to have a redemption arc.
1: He doesn't. Um, See, but now you bringing up Leandros just makes me remember that we're never going to get a sequel to have Titus's redemption.
0: Graham McNeil, you
1: work for Riot Games. Haven't they
0: always wanted to make a non- MOBA, haven't they always wanted to make a shooter that takes place in the Warhammer 40k universe starring the Walmart great value version of Uriel Ventress because they couldn't get the rights to the Ultramarines Omnibus that you wrote? But guess what?
1: Riot Games has you. They've got you. That is so mean about Captain Titus.
0: You're right. He's not the Walmart version, but he is kind of is the Pepsi OK version.
1: You're so mean.
0: Anyways, the point is, Mr. McNeil, I feel as though now is the time for
1: you to pitch this. And they have a writer on staff, you. So first of all, uh, Riot will never let go of MOBAs. They make way too much money.
0: Um, I don't... Okay, look, like eventually, like how many gold-plated toilets do they need in their office building? All like, of them. Is... Like, is the fact that the whole parking lot is filled with, like, Ferraris and Lamborghinis, like, eventually at some point, can't you have a pet passion project of making a sequel to Warhammer 40K I Space think their Marine? pet
1: passion project was actually creating a mobile version of League of Legends called Wild Rift. <laughs> that's their pet passion project right now. Right, but that's a lame pet project. It this may be. Yeah. <laughs>
0: This would be so awesome. You would be the hero of like the whole internet and fandom.
1: Just saying, they would. But they're probably all under the impression of if it ain't broke, don't fix it.
0: (laughs) Probably true, but I'm just saying. I think there's a real thing here, anyways. I would rather somebody um, else
1: than Riot Games do it, but that's just me. But they have Graham McNeil. They do, but THQ Nordic actually has THQ who could resurrect this if they so choose. Please do. With this Pepsi OK Uriel. I'm
0: totally good with it.
1: Just be Attentive. sure to bring back the uh, voice actor, please. Uh, Mark Strong. Yes, days. thank you. I know it was strong, but yes.
0: <laughs> Wild crush on Mark Strong. Anyways. I just have a crush on his um, voice. It's so dreamy. <laughs> Anyways. Um, I that whole scene like he, he's got a brand new gun he's got his guys his guys are super excited and like where do they go now do they just go back and rejoin gulliman or are they always like do they go back and rejoin gulliman but under the like they're just waiting
1: for the siren song of the necrons i think they do whatever Gollum tells them to do do they I, all stick together, though? I want to kind of envision them like the Guardians of the Galaxy, like at the end of the first movie. And it's like, so, where to? <laughs> you know? Right. I kind of envision them like that. But I also know that, you know, since Gulliman and ur are are like besties now, that, you know, they're just going to wait. They're going to, you know, send their report to Gulliman. He'll get to it in nine months. And be like, okay, I have a new assignment for you.
0: I... Would really like if he gets to their report right after he gets to Belisarius's calls, and he's like, "You, you released a what now?" And then he gets to Uriel's report, and he's like, "Oh, another one." Like the shards be moving.
1: It's a. Are you saying mm-hmm. this might be another voicemail for Robbie? I Bobby? feel like this
0: would at least. It, this, oh, this isn't a voicemail. You deliver this one in person. <laughs> The singing telegram.
1: Um I think the uh call Bell-Sares call leaves a message.
0: Oh, for sure. For sure. Belisarius call 100 percent leaves a message.
1: On his Rogue Eye.
0: And, and it's uh it's a meandering. Oh no, not the Rogue Eye. That one he'll actually call the voicemail, but it'll be like a meandering message. Um about like gene stealers and necrons. But I really like the idea that now they're like this, I mean, there's, there's just this, they're this awesome group of guys who are super close. And as you said, it's like kind of his own personal Morval. They're kind of like the Fab Five from Sons of Selenar slash uh, Angel Exterminatus, or like they're gonna go off and kick some ass in the name of Gulliman. I'm so excited. Like I got to the end of this book and I was like, but I want
1: more. I, I kind of was the same. I was really happy that um, that Kyprian survived i was really worried about him like after <laughs> his after hadrian died i was like i'm not going to, it's not going to be cool if if he dies too and i was really happy about you know tellion cut kind of, uh i mean old man guess we guess we just can't kill this guy which is which is fine because he's amazing Out, i loved him i loved I, uh... that he used uriel as bait and uriel's response when he realized it was good shot <laughs>
0: I loved that. Um, I also cannot get enough of, from Tech Marine Harkus. By the way, like I love Harkus. I don't direct like direct,
1: you know, and to my veins. And you know how much like I'm not care. I don't really care about the Mechanicus and, and all that. But you know, the Tech Marines is like I'll allow it. Harkus is just awesome,
0: awesome. Um, by the way, one of my favorite scenes for an ending note in this book is, of course, when. Uh, Elia Vivaro comes through and she's like, I knew you'd still be alive. Right? Yeah, the- so excited. Like, okay. Is it, a, is it
1: a little deus ex machina-ish? It is, but it's done right. It is, but at the same time, I think it would be more deus ex machina if they figured out how to teleport out.
0: I actually even said that when I was reading it. I was like, okay. Like, I don't love that they were able to teleport to the center of the Earth, but as long as they can't get back that the way that they came, that's fine. And sure enough, I was a little bit worried about that, but I do like when Lyricus is like, what is that noise? And Uriel's like, yeah, I have an idea. <laughs> you do, of course you do. It was just such a nice note to bring them back. And it was such a nice way to just update them and make them, but like bring them back out of that older chapter and into the forefront and very much active players in Gulliman's game. We know that Cato Sicarius is already active, right?
1: Um, well, Cato we Sicarius know- is like traveling with Gulliman. I mean, right. He, he's his, He's his understudy. <laughs> Pretty
0: much. Uh, we know that Marnius Calgar is alive, is moving around and doing stuff. So I like the idea that now, like, The idea should have been that these captains were very trusted people who you could like move and have do things and I really do. I like that and I like seeing this favorite character coming back to the forefront but not feeling shoehorned in. Right. Not that I'm suggesting that we recently read a book that felt a little quasi shoehorned. This one, (laughs) this one though for sure I thought was done so naturally. Now, normally we don't talk about this kind of stuff, but I really want to with this book because I think it bears, uh, it bears conversation.
1: Let's talk about Graham McNeil's intro and afterward. What did you... Well, first of all, I'm curious if that's even in anybody else's books.
0: I don't know if they're going to, I don't know if it's going to come with the hardback version. I don't know if it's just limited edition because it's very important. So in the intro, Graham McNeil talks about how it's been a very long time. Uh, It's been a spell and he's been a little bit busy. Um, But I do like the idea where he said that, let's see, I had big plans for the next books, an epic trilogy involving a huge Necron invasion of Ultramar, a necrosphere constructed around a crag and a potential storyline where Reboot Gulliman returned to the fold, albeit in the toys back in the box at the end kind of way. So the fact that because i looked this up and i can't remember now off the top of my head but i think that sixth book comes out like in 2013 14 it's been a while the idea that he was already kind of looking at like how could we get reboot out of hawk and that he wanted to bring in the necrons very forward thinking like i definitely had his finger on the pulse of where mm-hmm. games work how they think and how they move right which well, I think is really awesome also
1: like Gulliman is really the only Primarch that's kind of easy to have come back I mean yes he's in very much he's so. in stasis and kind of comatose but it's not like it's mm-hmm. impossible in the last 10,000 years and to figure out how to keep him from dying from Fulgrim's knife wound right very much so So he
0: was definitely easier, but also just with the ultramarines, right? It's kind of a natural fit. Um, So I really liked the idea that he kind of was already thinking about that. And the idea that he goes away for a few years he comes back. Oh yeah, Rubik's alive and well, by the way, uh, and this is all moving. So his afterward, he talks about how he's like, this was hard because the whole Rubicon Primaris and wanting to update some of these named characters and how do you bring because remember that first Uriel Ventress book is written in the early aughts Mm -hmm. so how do you bring something that much like how do you drag that into the present and I don't envy him that task and it's so well written by the way the afterword and the intro like they're just really nice um but he does say specifically let's go to my afterword here um that let's see I look forward to exploring more of them with Uriel Ventress and his newly reformed Swords of Kalth. I hope you'll come with me when I do. Always. Oh, I'm I'm there. Like you don't need to ask. Totally there. But I think I do like that he references some of the book. Bo. <laughs> Space bars, how do they work? Um, I do like that he references some of the other books that he's been keeping up with the lore and like he really did do his research into how to bring this in um, responsibly, I guess. So again, it doesn't feel shoehorned and he does feel like he's very current, which he's very good at. I think it's like the intro and the outro, usually I'm just like, mm, "That's interesting. This one, I don't know why, for some reason it hit me in the feels. And I like, I liked that he was concerned whether or not he was gonna make it feel
1: natural. It, this book felt to me, quite honestly, like this was a love letter from him to his Uriel Ventress fans. And by bringing Nightbringer into this, you know, it just kind of all brings it back around full circle. You know, mm-hmm. I know what you think of the sequels to Star Wars and all that, but hold on a second. You can really say that the seventh movie... Was kind of a rehashing of A New Hope. There was a lot of similarities in how things went. You had, you know, the a random person like you had the Tatooine. You had um, well, Episode Five. No, 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 oh, sorry, no New Hope Episode Four. The very first seven, start, seven, seven, seven. Sorry, sorry, seven. Yes. So if you look at like A New Hope and uh, The Force Awakens, they right, right. follow oh, yeah. very linearly with each other and actually you can say the same Mm -hmm. thing about a new hope and um phantom menace and actually that was something that i even commented when i first saw the phantom menace in the theater i was like oh let me guess they're gonna you know get the shields down and then blow it up in the center okay i've seen this before and george lucas did that on purpose and then jj abrams again did that on purpose to kind of have that circling back to bring it back to remember what you guys liked with the new hope just to kind of circle it back to that and I feel like that's exactly what Graham McNeil did with this without George Lucas seeing it up very much so
0: and one of the things I thought was really interesting is that when he talks about how like he and Phil Kelly wrote the codex for Necrons forever ago (laughs) right so like it's it's I don't know how to say this without casting shade at another book that we recently read but we did talk about how Dan nett has been around for a really long time obviously and it felt like he had with Penitent I think one of our biggest complaints was that it felt like he had to come in and throw his weight around and be like uh excuse you I helped build this house I loved how much more natural this was that he felt like he really wanted to kind of like you said like get that parody in there but make it feel very natural and remind you what you loved about this while also making it very clear that he has definitely kept up with the progression and that this wasn't he didn't have necessarily have anything to prove other than just to remind you how much you love these characters
1: even more than that it's not about what he has to prove but how much he loves this character um you know
0: and the world, the universe.
1: When I got to meet him, gosh, it seems like it was like 10 years ago, even though it was just in 2019. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, he, you know, kind of mentioned like how much he loves how Guy Haley has taken this world and just made it his own in a way without overly inserting himself into it. Does, I'm not right. sure, I'm not sure I've explained this for, as well as he put it. But there is that, like, he was just, like, so happy to see, like, how much the world has progressed. And I I feel like we could really see that in this book, whereas I feel like we didn't, we don't feel that way about Dan Abnett and what he has done. Yes.
0: I would agree. And I I don't...
1: (laughs) I don't want to
0: make it sound like I'm pitting the two authors against each other. And I'm like, what crap is clearly better than Dan? Amnett. No, I'm not I saying just,
1: that. I'm just like, all I'm saying, know. all I'm saying is, is that, um, what am I saying? Because now that you said that, now I can't get that out of my head. It's just, um, just different ways. We liked the approach better. It's just different methods of using what's going on. And I think, honestly, it's easier for Dan Abnett to kind of throw his weight around because that all takes place in the past before the the rift before the rift opens so very it's, much so it's a little, i would agree with that it's a little easier for him to kind of yeah he's throwing this weight around but he's staying in the world he already created years ago that was already in the past very much so and
0: this feels like such a nice thriving part of the new world i guess i I, can't, I don't really know what else to say other than how much I really enjoyed it and how nice it was to see. Because you do kind of worry, right? Like, it's been forever since we've just seen these characters. Are they going to feel like
1: they don't belong? Because the last no. thing that you want... Because we've all done this. We've all read a book series that went on way too lo- much... Way too long. For longer than it should have. Like, it should have been a trilogy instead of six books. And... uh that's so easy to... Song of Ice and Fire is seen. That's not even over yet, and... Anyway.
0: Were you throwing shade at the Wheel of Time? Heaven forbid. I was not throwing shade at Wheel of Time because I don't... Look, Carrie, we needed five books that just summarize the events of the other five books that came before it, okay? I don't
1: care about the Wheel of Time. I find the books boring. You can at me. I don't care but we've all had those where it's like oh my god this should have ended like you ended it just fine after three why are we continuing a story and it's like but right. you but you know like okay it's so a song of ice and fire it's not that they should have ended it it's just that he just can't stop writing same right. thing and the same thing with, with, with wheel of time but you know like there's there's one series in mind, but you guys probably don't know what it is. But the, it should have ended at the third book. But the problem is, is that the trilogy was so popular, the author I'm pretty sure was pressured to keep going. Right, and then trilogy that followed after that was just not good, and not even needed. And you kind of worry about that because you know, the way that Graham McNeil ended those six books, it's nice perfectly nice that's very you nice wrapped it up everything with han so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so you kind of worried, like okay is this going to be a sign of quit while you're ahead old man and it
0: wasn't it was not
1: i'm um, so
0: here's something that's kind of interesting about like the books that we've been reading recently so we read penitent which was the sequel like almost 12 years later 10 years later um, to Pariah, which was kind of definitely an author where we were like, mm, I'm not so sure about this one. Characters that we knew, not necessarily loved. Then we read this guy that was waiting for, for that you know we'd been waiting for a really long time for. Author we know and love, characters we know and love, and then we are transitioning <laughs> into very cold waters. <laughs> to, hey, hey, um, to check out Silent Hunters by Eduardo Albert. I have not yet read anything by him, which is pretty exciting to me. And I don't think I have read a single book about the Karkaradons. I've
1: never even heard of the Karkaradons.
0: Um, I've always really liked the idea of them because I love my Raven Guard and I love any alleged assumed um, successor chapter of the Raven Guard. So I'm actually really excited about this. Additionally, it takes place in Kimura,
1: which- I'm just curious about shark people. <laughs> um, ha- I have
0: a lot of questions about the shark people as well like don't get me wrong sharks are amazing and they're awesome and
1: you know Jaws um, I- you think awesome? not also subtle That's a, no actually violent? you know what this is about as subtle as Warhammer 40k gets because it's as subtle as a 2x4 across the face I was going to say
0: hmm. um, Ferris Manus says what's up Um the actually he doesn't doesn't say anything actually. Yeah. He ain't saying much right now. He did. Um He he did. This one I'm really excited to see because the last book that we read dealing with Kimura and the um actually really the last author we saw dealing with the Jukari and Kimura was Josh Reynolds. And so I'm I'm interested to see what somebody else does with it. But it's it's just funny that we were like, old classic, old classic brand new um but you know what i have pretty high hopes and i feel i hope i hope i'm not setting myself up for disappointment because
1: robert wrath and infinite and the divine like uh, the okay i had the bar pretty low set for for that book brand new author too. brand new author to warhammer 40k i don't like the necrons Jen dragged me to that book, kicking and screaming, just like she did *Lords of Silence*. And then it ended up, and then ended up being like one of my favorite books. I keep hoping that one day I'm going to drag her kicking and screaming like to some *Blood Angel* thing that she's going to love. But I have a feeling that's just never going to happen.
0: Sorry.
1: Although I, I did drag you kicking and screaming to one one book, *War of Secrets*. You didn't want to read it. You knew we had to true dark angels and we both ended up loving it actually luther as well mm. i was
0: not super like i it was a beautiful book and i got it but i was kind of like mm, i don't care about luther at all um i don't like the dark angels but yeah so i'm excited to read silent hunters i think this is going to be a fun change of pace for us
1: something totally different i <laughs> now for something completely different also <laughs> chaplains and there's skull faces they look so angry. That's why I thought this is yeah. actually a descendant of the Black Templars.
0: Like, they all really, chaplains all look like they wanted to be part of the Black Templars, but they were told they couldn't be. And so now they're just really it's, angry.
1: It's just the skull face. This is not very spiritually inspiring. <laughs>
0: Apparently, it is the Warhammer 40k universe though. well
1: that fits for the Warhammer 40k universe that skulls would be spiritually then again the Emperor's face is kind of a skull right now so with a fake eye so, I mean yeah I mean if I've learned
0: nothing from text to speech that's definitely what I've learned
1: do you want to take us out Carrie <laughs> I sure will. So thank you so much. You've listened to the Warhammer 40k book club episode regarding Swords of calf by Graham McNeil. Be sure to join us for our next book, Silent Hunters by Eduardo Albert. We are an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those good things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast anywhere you get podcasts. Don't forget, we also have a Patreon where we offer two different tiers of content for your viewing and listening pleasure. You can learn more about that at patreon.com wh40k book club. Yes, I said that right. <laughs> Our site has also has articles about adventures and reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories out cut outside of the book club books, so please stay a while and read from a crap. I'm still all furious, just saying.
0: Use some different shade of chartreuse. Actually, it's not chartreuse, it's just green. It definitely gets you this green.
1: It's kind of like what a teal green? Right?
0: Whatever. It is a little tealer. It's, it's much tealer than that, but like this is. This is a more rewarding necron green.
1: It's not it's no chartreuse, I'll give you that.
0: It doesn't shine like a beacon from the top of a bookcase. Never mind.
1: Get you some chartreuse.
0: <laughs> Good night everybody. Night.